you. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 9, and that's page 974 of the Pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35 through to 10, verse 15. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, preaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey, or extra tunic, or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there, and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Uh, Good, thank you very much. Well, really, really nice to be with you. Um, I'm going to tell you about Guion Jenkins, who was a lovely bloke, age 18. Um, and one day, I was, in, I was in geography before lunch, and I was 15. And there was a knock on the door, and it was Guion Jenkins. Now, he was the king of school. He was in the upper sixth form. He was 18 years of age. He nearly had a beard, even. He was a man. And as a little boy much younger at school age, when he came into the classroom, he knocked the door, he said, is Graham Daniels here, please? And uh, I thought, what's he want with me? And he said, sir, uh, he's playing for the school cricket team this afternoon in Cardiff, um, but we need to leave immediately. Now, I had double physics and maths in the afternoon, so this was fantastic. So the teacher said, yes, off you go. So I ran home to get my kit, ran back to school, jumped on the bus, teacher, 11 boys, and I didn't know any of them, you see. So I was thinking I must be a really good player. 
So I'm thrilled. So this very kind king of school uh, sits by me and is very polite to me because I don't know anybody on the minibus. So I think I must find out why I'm such a good player. So I say, um, very nice to be in the team, Guion. Um, I was amazed to be picked for the school team. And he says, yes, well done. Which wasn't at all what he should have said. He should have said, you know, you're good. So ten minutes later, I said, yes, lovely to be picked. And he said, yes, I know. Aren't you pleased? I said, I am. And then ten minutes later, I said, why was I picked? Because I was a vain child with no good reason. And he said, isn't it obvious? I said, not really. And he said, well, what time did I call you? Five to twelve. What time did the bus leave? Five past twelve. How many boys at school? Six hundred. Does any boy live closer to school than you? <laughs> so, yes, I know it's sad, that, isn't it? Very sad. And, and so, if you know anything about cricket, I fielded third man and batted eleven, which I didn't need to because he scored hundreds of runs and, you know, took five for one or something ridiculous. And, and so we jump on the bus on the way back, and it was a Monday. And so on this Monday, very kindly, sits by the child who's a bit of a loser, who didn't do anything all game. And he, he says to me, what did you do at the weekend? I said, oh, I played cricket Saturday. This is 1970s in Wales. Uh, and Sunday I didn't do much. I said, because you couldn't do anything on Sunday in the 1970s. But my mother wanted me to go to church. I said, but I didn't go because I don't like going to church. And he said, um, oh, why don't you like going to church? And I said, well, why are you asking? What did you do at the weekend? He said, oh, I play cricket Saturday. I went to church Sunday. I said, but you're 18. And you're the best sportsman in Llanelli. What did you go to church for? And you know what he said? He said, I went to church because I followed Jesus. And we'd only gone a few minutes, and I said to myself, 45 miles to go. I'm in all kinds of trouble here. That man kept in touch with me from the age of 15 to 21. I didn't know. I, I thought only people like my mother and her friends could be Christians. My mother was about 40 then, but of course, when you're 15, 40 is like 90. So I didn't know any. But you see, even in West Wales then, there weren't that many people who I, I didn't meet any boys. Sad, really, isn't it? Very rural, very... And I didn't know it was possible. This boy opened my eyes to the fact that I could follow Jesus and be a sporty boy. Sport isn't a big deal. It's just if you're a sporty kid, it's a big deal. <laughs> Guion Jenkins kept in touch with me for six years until I, as an adult, became a Christian. Wrote to me, came to visit me, came to Cambridge. Amazing chap. But some years later he told me, that he'd gone home from cricket that night and his mum and dad had said, how was the game? And he said, oh, good, you know, we'd won. And, uh, but he was a bit downcast and they said, um, what's the matter then? And he said, oh, I, I tried to tell this boy about being a Christian and I really got it, I was rubbish. I really got it wrong. And I tell that story at the beginning with the lovely story of Matthew from the interview with Rachel saying, we have no idea if we're willing to say something about Jesus. We have absolutely no idea what God in his lovely kindness can do. 
We have no idea whatsoever. So let's look at this story and watch what the Lord Jesus teaches his disciples about this. In Matthew's Gospel, early on in chapter 4 and verse 19, he says to the early disciples, If you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He says, a follower of Jesus will reach out to others, many of them are fishermen. He said, you will influence others for me. You will catch people. And at the end of Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 28, and right at the end, in 18 to 20, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations or people, all types of people. Now, nations aren't countries, Wales, France... Nations in the Bible are people groups, interests, hobbies, languages. So making disciples of all nations is like Rion Jenkins telling a little younger boy who's a sportsman something about Jesus. At the beginning of the gospel and at the end he says this is what a Christian does, they pass it on. But right in the middle, and we're going to look at it for a few minutes today, it's almost like a training exercise. The Lord Jesus, before he leaves this earth, gives them a lesson in how you fish for people. And I'd like to look at that lesson with you this morning, because if I dare say it at the beginning, if you're anything like me, if you are a Christian, you can get a little bit nervous about what to say to people who aren't. That's why I loved the way Matthew approached it. You, you can get nervous about it and think, well, what difference can I make? I mean, I can see the people who are good at talking and confident. They can tell people, but not me. Not really somebody like me. I'd be hopeless. I wouldn't know how to answer the questions. Or I, I just don't think it could be for me. Oh, friends, let's look at this story together. Make sure you've got it open in front of you because the story's magnificent, really. L let's have a look at it. Look at verse 36. We'll jump in now at verse 36, actually. I've called this the motive for mission. Look closely at this. When he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, if you walk into school or college or work or your sports club or the music group or with your friends when you go for a coffee when they drop the kids off or something... I wonder how you view a crowd of people. For me, Rachel was asking about the football. We had an end-of-season dinner the other day, and not lots of people there. And I walk in, and I think, 300 people, and I think, oh, how could I make a difference here as a Christian? I mean, so many people, so confident, so well-to-do. Can I make a difference? And I feel a bit scared, really, if I think about what I would say to people. Look at the Lord Jesus' eyes on the people you work with or go to school with. Look at his eyes for them. When he saw the crowds, he wasn't frightened. He actually says, it says this, he had compassion on them. It's a strong word. It means his heart breaks. When the Lord Jesus looks at my street, my school, my workmates, my teammates, he has compassion on them. Why? Because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In the Old Testament, Israel without God was sheep without a shepherd, leaderless. Now, I don't know if you can quite believe it, and if you're not a Christian this morning, it might make you a bit cross. The Bible says that when Jesus looks at us, he sees us, whatever the outside, as without a leader. In fact, 
mangled by the wolf, harassed, helpless, ripped apart. Whatever we've got going for us, actually God is very sad for us if we don't know Christ. Because our lives without him are actually leaderless. And the wolf has got us. Now that's offensive. That can be really offensive. If you don't want to trust Christ. But if you do trust Christ this morning. It is important to look at the world around us. And not worry about how sophisticated or cool the whole thing is. But to actually say. Gosh. Like me. The people around me without Christ are harassed and helpless. And it's his compassion that makes a difference to them, not mine. He has compassion. If my, I have family members who don't know Christ. If it hinged on my compassion, they'd have no chance. Because I don't pray enough. I don't seem to care enough, even if I care. But the Lord Jesus cares for people. He really cares for people. And then look at the, the next part, verses 37 and 38. Let's look at the theology of mission here. This is a famous verse that's used often. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We could say much, but I'm going to concentrate on this little phrase. It's his harvest field. If you think it's yours, you will be frightened. Really frightened. Because I'll think, how can I make a difference? How can I make a difference at my church or um, my workplace or school or football? I mean, I just aren't equipped well enough. But look at what the Lord says to the disciples when he sends them out to have a go at this. It's his harvest field. He's the Lord of the harvest. He has to open people's eyes. I can't. And I really learned this. I went on a course. We're recording this, so I can't, I won't say the name of it. They'll sue me. Um, I'm 55 and I remember exactly how old I was when I went on this course. I was 38 um, and I had a little bit of training money from church and Christians in sport to go for a bit of training every year. And I thought instead of going to a Christian conference, I'll go to a secular conference to see what it feels like to be in a conference about a better way to live and how to make sense of life, which wasn't Christian because I was always inviting my friends to things like Christianity Explored as it is now. So I thought, I wonder what it's like to go to somebody else's. This was a course for young London professionals. Now, obviously, I wasn't young, and I didn't live in London, and I was certainly not very professional. But I went to the course. It was all weekend. And I went to the course. And in the course, there were eight people in groups, 150 people. And it was about a better lifestyle. So it wasn't kooky, you know, because they were well-to-do types and indeed when I sat in my little group it soon worked out that it was the woman in charge of our little group was called Wendy she had a big badge with Wendy on you couldn't miss it it was massive and uh, thank goodness at first she went anti-clockwise she said well let's introduce each other you know those horrible things let's introduce each other Joanne Joanne had a badge as well Joanne tell us about you and she said oh Wendy thank you so much uh, you know she was she worked in the city of London she was a lawyer you know she was glam and he, uh, Joanne oh I did this course two years ago it's the best thing I ever did changed my life it changed my life 
Peter, tell us about you. Or I work in investments in a good-looking guy, like 30. I did this course before. I'm going, oh, God, Lord, please, let somebody be a Muppet who's never done this course. But they weren't because they were all really cool. And they were all, like, wedged up and expensive. And they'd all done the course, and it comes right round to me, and I'm last, right? Now I'm thinking it was a good thing. At the beginning, I'm going, I'm glad I'm last. At this point, I'm going, oh, what a disaster. So she says... Uh, Graham, very nice to meet you. And I'm thinking, come on, best behavior, best behavior. So I say, oh, Wendy, very nice to meet you too. Um, she said, tell us about you, Graham. Uh, and everybody said their age, you see. So I said, well, I'm 38. And there was a bit of a pause then, you know, in the group. Uh, and actually, they were surprised because I looked about 45. So actually, they were quite... So 38. So 38. Uh, she, I said, I work in a church. I thought it was easier to say that. I work in a church in Cambridge... Oh, now their faces have gone. Um, and I haven't done this course before. And she said, Graham, let me just stop you right there. I'll stop you right there. I said, what are you stopping me for? I thought. She, she turned to the group and she said, well. She said, Graham's the only person in the group who's never done this course before. What a pity. Just imagine if he had done it when he was young. She really did. She really said it. Now I'm thinking at 55, when he was young, 38. Now you've got to be polite in public, haven't you? So I said, oh, Wendy, that's fascinating. I'm very much looking forward to see what I can learn from the course now that I'm on it. Inside, there was 10 minutes to the break, and I thought, if I see you in the corridor in 10 minutes' time, I'll kill you. <laughs> That'll be fine. That'll be fine, Wendy. At the end of that course, it was brilliant course, a diagnosis of what's wrong with the human condition, but the answer was rubbish or how to fix it. But it was a brilliant insight into sin, effectively, which they wouldn't have called it. At the end of the course, it dawned on me, I liked Wendy, I got to know her, she was nice. She really believed in what she was doing, and she was a nice woman. And at the end of the course, I thought, I wonder when people come to a course, I run a church for people who aren't a Christian whether they actually come with my good intentions, but they think that I think of them, that if only they were a little bit cleverer or smarter or more emotionally intelligent, maybe they'd work it out for themselves. But they're probably just a bit too old or too thick or whatever it is to get it. She didn't mean it, but that's how it came across. It was patronizing. You'll never be patronizing if you know the Lord of the harvest is, it occurs to me. If you think it's your brilliance that leads your family to Christ or your church grows or people you know become a Christian if you think it's your brilliance there's a great risk that you'll be proud well of course we don't like to brag but we've got it together really yeah in our home we've got it together yeah well you know we're going well for most of us it's the opposite uh, it's the same pride but it shows us despair oh. I hate it when people talk about how well they're going because I don't go well. Oh, I don't like stories about how good things are going with people sharing about Christ because I'm rubbish at it. I mean, they're both pride. They're just both wrong. Uh, one's full of it, one's empty of it, and the chances are most of us are empty of it, not full of it, isn't it? It's not your harvest. And this is the liberation. 
If it is not your harvest field, the liberation is massive. It's not down to your ability or your strength or your skill. It's not at all. It's down to him. It's his harvest field. So that's his theology. Relax. God's in charge of the whole plan. And then he tells us his strategy. Now, Rachel read beautifully and read the whole list of the apostles there. And these people are the twelve. And if you look at chapter 10, verse 5, they're not us. These people are responsible for the eyewitness evidence that wrote the New Testament. They were doing remarkable things as God authenticated them as the eyewitnesses for what we have in front of us in the New Testament. They could do things like Christ himself. And you'll see they're not us because in verse 5 it says, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, go only to the lost sheep of Israel. They are on a training exercise. Go to the villages around, a bit like living around West Wales, where you know people and family and friends, and you know lots of people in lots of villages. He's saying, go on, you're followers of mine, hang out with your friends, say that you've met me, see how it goes. It's a practice run. One day he'll die and rise and send the Spirit, and the whole world will know. But at this point he's showing them what it'll look like on that day. And I've picked out just three short things, which I hope now are really practical that I really hope in these few minutes we've got left it's not a sporty talk as such it's just a gospel talk isn't it it's what the scriptures teach stick with me for a few minutes and watch what Jesus says and if you are somebody who says I am a Christian you can fish you can you can help others everything inside you says no I can't not me I can't What will you trust now? Trust your own instinct or the Lord Jesus? Watch these three points. Here's the first thing which is possibly the toughest. Verse 7. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. My lovely friend, Guion Jenkins, asked me what I did at the weekend. Then he asked me another question. He says, so you, do you, did you, do you go to church? No, I don't like it. Did you ever go? Yeah, I used to go. Did you ever like it? Oh, I had a great Sunday school teacher called Mr. Williams when I was nine. I loved him. What did you love about him? Oh, he was great. I used to really enjoy the Sunday school class. What was the best story you ever, you ever learned from the Bible? And I told him the story. And we chatted. What he actually did was, he said something about being a Christian. All he actually says was he went to church. Jesus teaches the disciples here as you go, say something of the kingdom of heaven. If you don't say something, no conversation ever follows. And I know this can be hard, certainly very hard to say something. But the Lord Jesus says go on, say something. And ask a question. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to have an answer for the hope. There's something magnificent about questions. I bumped into two pals in Cambridge this week. And because Gwion Jenkins did this to me, I've always thought, Oh, just say something and see what happens. So I saw a friend called Trev. uh, And I chatted to Trev. And I could make a weekend stretch to Wednesday. It was Tuesday. 
Sorry, Trevor, are you? Good. What do you do at the weekend, Trev? Oh, we did such and such Saturday. I met the kids and we went out with the kids on Sunday. He's in his 30s. He said, what about you, Dano? I said, oh, we're the player of the year, Saturday, at the club. And uh, I went to church Sunday, actually. Oh, it was a good, I had a good talk, Trev, about anger. Have you ever been to church, Trev? No, you say to me, oh, that's outrageous. Uh, no, in the southeast, very small church attendance, right? You think, oh, I bet that was awkward. It's not awkward at all. Trev just goes, nah. I said, well, you've never been to church, Trev. Well, he said, oh, sorry, I've been to funerals. Uh, I said, but yeah, no, I've never been to church like normal, going to church on a Sunday. I said, ever think about it? Nah. So what am I going to do then? I say, are you coaching somebody next year? Yeah, I'm going to coach such and such. Oh, great, who are you signing? Like you do that all the time in life? We think it's weird. Trevor didn't think it was weird at all. Not at all. Because it's just a normal, everyday conversation. Really normal. So Trev, nothing happened. And then another conversation with a lad. All right, Dano, I owe you. Good, good weekend. I mean, you can't go past Wednesday. It's embarrassing. You know, good weekend. Uh, yeah, what do you do? What about you, Dano? The same old spiel, you know. I said, you haven't been to church. And he went, funny you should ask that. Yeah, I used to go to church when I was a kid. Did you like it? Oh, I loved it. Oh, why, why did you love it? Oh, I was this great Sunday school teacher. Oh, yeah. What was your favourite story? He said, oh, that lad beginning with a Z. Zach, a guy who climbed the tree. I said, Zacchaeus. He said, yeah, great story. I said, why do you think it's a great... He's 38, this fella. I said, why do you think... Everyone's 38. Why do you think it's a great story? Why do you think it's a great story? He said, well, he just had nerve, didn't he? He had bottle. And he practiced what he preached. Because once Christ... And he said, once Christ said to him, I'm coming to your house, he said he would give his things back. I said, great story. I said, do you know, why don't you go to church anymore then? He's got two kids. He said, well, you know, life, busy, stop going. I said, mate, would you ever come? He said, yeah, I've often thought about the kids. And I said, I'll tell you what, then I'll, give you, I'll drop you a text next time we've got something going. Easy peasy. Normal. I said, are you playing vets football next year? Yeah, yeah. Oh, great, who are you going to play for? Is so-and-so playing still? Yeah, often. See you later, bye. Now, one person does it one way, everybody else does it in their own way, in their own culture. But my friends, Guion Jenkins just said, as a shivering 18-year-old... Well, I go to church and he couldn't think of what to say because I followed Jesus and then blushed and went home and felt it was a disaster. All I know is he's not the Lord of the harvest. I'm not the Lord of the harvest. You're not the Lord of the harvest. Somebody said something and there's this poor kid who doesn't know you can be a Christian and a sports person whose heart jumped for joy and said, oh my word, I could be a Christian. But it wasn't his harvest. He's not in charge of it. You know what happens? You find, Jesus says in John's Gospel, the fields are white for harvest. It's not your job to negotiate or to be awkward. Your job is to be normal. And you'll find that there's a harvest that you really didn't expect, which is the second tip. Be better at being normal. Do you like that? Be better at being normal. Now, this is normal, verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. The apostles could, could do things that were very, very supernatural and not normal. But watch what's underneath it. 
to reach, to heal a leper, you've got to touch a leper, right? Nobody touched lepers. They were out of, out of, out of bounds. Don't touch a leper. Well, the religious people said, don't touch a leper. What if you're the kind of woman who really cares for your friends? And when they hurt, you care. And when it's tough, you care. You're the kind of girl who's there. And look at the kind of person you are. Freely you have received, Jesus says, them freely give. Don't be mean. Don't be tight. Don't be nasty. Ask Jesus to help you care for others. Don't get gold or silver or copper. Don't show off about how successful you are or how good you are at your sport. Or Just don't show off. Just be humble. Don't take extra bags and shirts and sandals. It's all about being humble. He says, as you go, say something and just be humble. Isn't Jesus magnificent? He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He made 200 billion galaxies. Million galaxies. I said that in Cambridge once at the door and I got, I got, I got pulled about 15 times at the door by astrophysicists who said, don't give facts when you don't know the subject. <laughs> But do you see what he does here? He, he's, he is the king of eternity and he was a servant. And you can never divorce these things. This is what's thrilling about being a Christian. He says, how does it work? How do you fish? Well, you love people and you try and curb your own vanity and your own self-centeredness and you ask God to help you to love and be better at being normal because everybody loves somebody who cares. And you say something about Christ, and we can't believe this if we've been a Christian a while. People join up the two things. You think, well, they must join that up. I'm a Christian, so I went the extra mile. People don't join it up, not where I live. The number of times somebody said, ah, oh, he told me he was a Christian, and that made sense of the way he lived. And we think, well, he must have worked that out. But people don't work it out. Jesus won't separate them. It's magnificent. And then the last thing is almost the culmination of it all. Whatever town or village you enter, expect to be surprised. This is lovely. Say something. Be better at being normal. And watch this now. He's the Lord of the harvest, not you. Expect to be surprised. Jesus says to them, well, whatever town or village you enter, as you say something and be better at being normal, search there for some worthy person. That's called by Luke in chapter 10, the person of peace, shalom, open to Christ, in the harvest field, growing, ripe, ready. Look for somebody who's ready to listen. Stay at their house. Of course, in that culture, hospitality means that they welcome you. They want you. They want to know you. Stay at that house until you leave. When you enter the house, give it your greeting. Pray for that home. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you, note this phrase, 14, or listen to your words, which is the words of the gospel. If somebody doesn't want to listen to the words, leave it. Shake the dust off your feet. Move along. Trevor. Have you been to church, Trev? Nah. Funerals. Ever thought of going? Nah. Shaking the dust off your feet is treating Trevor with the respect he deserves as a person who wants to say, nah. 
force it, be awkward, manipulative. Don't need to. I'm not the Lord of the harvest. It's a conversation. Move along, please. Don't be full of yourself. Or don't be scared. Move along. There's a fork in the road. In every conversation, the fork comes. You ask a question. Politics, religion, sport, school PTA. You talk, you have a conversation. The conversation runs dry. You ask another question. That's life, isn't it? That's how it works in the New Testament. It's so uncomplicated if you're not the Lord of the harvest. Simply do not negotiate on people's behalves about who you'll talk. If Guion Jenkins hadn't talked to me that day, the Lord's kind and he knows what he's doing. But that boy helped me to see that the way he lived as I got to know him, he was a lovely bloke. Competitive, wanted to win, wanted to be the best player, but he cared for other people. There was a genuineness in that man, in all his flaws, that thought he is so good at being normal and he's not ashamed to say something about Jesus and it's attractive. And he met a boy and Guion was surprised. I was surprised. I found myself at 21 years of age moving to Cambridge to play football, playing against my boyhood hero, Kevin Keegan. Uh, we lost, of course. They won promotion. We got relegated. It was like a dream come true we played at Newcastle. It's a big old ground and lots of people. I came home that night and you know the only person I could think of in the world was Guion Jenkins. I remember being on the coach coming back to Cambridge thinking, why am I thinking about Guion Jenkins? I've just scored at St. James's Park against my boyhood hero. Why on earth is my brain full of Guion Jenkins? And the next morning all I could think of was, I have got to follow Christ. I've just got to do it. Whatever happens in life, whatever comes my way, I know nothing will ever be greater than Christ. I don't know why, but I do know there's a Lord of the harvest. And the field was ripe and somebody told me, and he didn't negotiate, he just kept in touch with me. I was a pest, I didn't want to see him sometimes. But he kept keeping in touch. It's wonderful the way Jesus operates. It's wonderful. Very finally, here's the last question then. Has it worked? Has this tactic worked? If Jesus had asked me what he should do to win the world for himself when he started with a little movement in, in Israel, I'd have said to him, do an advertising campaign, get a couple of million together, get the best PR firm you can, get it on the telly, you know, get it on Google, he just chose these men and said, I'll make you fishers of men. And in the end, he says, go and make disciples of every nation. Go on, off you go. By the way, remember what I taught you? Say something. Be really great at being normal and expect surprises. You never know. Because I'm in charge, not you. And my compassion is massive. And I will build my church. And who knows? Don't worry about it. Just live. Here's the question, my lovely friends, this morning. 1201. Has it worked? Here we are. Here we are. You're here. All over the world, people meet in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. It worked. Now, who was your... Joan Daniels was my mother. She loved me. And she loved Christ. Who's your Joan? 
Who's your parent or grandparent right now? They may be alive or not here anymore. Can you picture them now? I won't ask you to say anything. Can you now? You admired what they stood for. They were flawed. Didn't always like them. But you admired Christ in them. You knew they were a Christian. You knew they were good at being normal most of the time. And you are here today because you're the one who was surprised to see how attractive Christ was in them. Maybe as a teenager when you'd been a child in that home. And then secondly, has there been a guion along the way somewhere? Where you say, oh, she was great. I mean, she really helped me to see Christ. She really encouraged me to go on with Christ. He really was the difference at this point in my life in seeing that I must trust Christ. But here's the ultimate question. Who can you be that person for this week? Isn't it? Your own children. Or grandchildren. Or nieces or nephews. Or godchildren. A person that you work with or play sport with or do some kind of arts with. Or hang out with. Who can this person be that you will say, look, we met in church on Sunday, we remembered who we were, we tried to get shape in a busy life and tough weeks and all go. We had an hour together where we just sat there and I went into next week, because that's why Christians meet together, to get into next week, into the game. This is training, we're training here. The game is all week. And you go out next week, you say, oh, come on, say something. It's not my compassion. Be better at being a loving human being. Come on, Lord, help me. And maybe be surprised when you say something and be good at being normal. And just maybe when we get to heaven, we may have this gathering all over again because the Lord Jesus very kindly says, yeah, everyone who was at Kirkpatrick on that Sunday morning, I'll give you half an hour together. There you go, meeting over there. Nice coffee, because it'll be heaven. Everybody who came to know me, the sovereign Lord of the harvest, because people left this room today and said, that's me. I'm going to live like that this week. And somebody met you, and you said something, and it didn't seem to go anywhere, and you moved on with the conversation, and in three years' time, they meet somebody else who was like you. And they meet somebody else, and three years later they meet somebody else, and they come to Christ, and they have a family, and they share, or they have colleagues, or they share with, and there could be thousands of people who end up in heaven because we walked out of here this morning and said, look, I will say something, I will be better at being normal, and I will expect a surprise. Wouldn't it be magnificent? I want to get there on that day. I want to get there on that day and find that I'm part of this huge clan of people. Who just said, you're in charge, not me. Let me be somebody who says something that is better normal. Please surprise me. This side of heaven or the other side. Wouldn't it be fab? We must get about it, my dear friends. We must. Because it's not your compassion and it's not your brains or your ability to answer. It's not your power. It's Christ. And off we go to worship him. Let's say a prayer. Rachel, lead us into our last song. And then we'll get amongst it and get off the training pitch into the action. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are the Lord of the harvest and you love us so much. And I pray for every one of us in this building just now that 
you might really encourage me personally that you love me so much in my brokenness that you are for me and that you can build your church even where I am because you have made me me yes me not the woman or man next to me oh Lord may it be so and we ask it for Jesus sake Amen